Hello, everybody, and welcome to the SOT Radio Network. This is a health and wellness show. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Doug, Erica, Tiffany, Elliot, and Gabby. Full compliment today. Hello, everyone. Hello. So today, our topic is uh, nasty women. And so mm-hmm. <clears throat> we want to address the uh, the term as well as the meaning behind the term. But uh, this, this is not a show about uh, uh, Trump's uh, insult against Hillary, which, you know, certainly valid. Uh, however, we were talking about that before the show, and, and we wanted to talk a little bit about buzzwords and stuff as well. However, that does not uh, diminish from the... Um, the, the seriousness uh, and the uh, the gravity of the existence of uh, female psychopaths. And that is what we want to talk about today. Um, so we have this, you know, uh, stereotype of sugar, spice, everything nice, that that's what girls are made of. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody, <clears throat> maybe not everybody, but a lot of people have in their life run into uh, either uh, directly or through their acquaintances a damaging relationship with a woman who exhibits uh, psychopathic or sociopathic traits. Um, and a lot of that is uh, kind of swept under the rug because, well, women couldn't be psychopaths, right? You know, intellectually, you can bring people around to say, yes, okay, I understand men and women can both be psychopaths, but the percentage must be lower, right? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of intricacies around this issue, and that's what we wanted to talk about today. Um, so... Uh, I guess, uh, we, we, you know, we don't need to start off um, kind of uh, explaining. Well, I guess I'm losing my frame of reference here. Do you guys want to explain our, <laughs> our uh, where, where we're coming from for this show and, like, what kind of uh, inspired having us talk about this topic? Well, we did do a show a while ago about the gift of fear, and it was mm-hmm. a lot about women being victimized by nasty men to use the phrase, but, you know, men who are character disturbed, men who are violent, men who are psychopaths. And so we wanted to do a little balance uh, because a lot of people do have this belief that only women can be victims. They can never be victimizers. Women are so nurturing and caring. They have the strong mothering instinct and they can basically do no wrong. They might have like a bad day here or there, but it's really the men that you have to look out for. And really that's not the case. There are some pretty nasty women on this planet who have caused a lot of mm-hmm. harm. So we want to make sure that we have some balance in that area. Mm-hmm. And also to bring... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jonathan. Go ahead Gabby, please. Well, just to bring some get some balance to the concept, because um, mainstream science, or at least some people have the conception that um, psychopaths are mostly men, and uh, somehow women are exempted, or they're the minority of psychopaths, so it will be an interesting debate if we discuss about it. What do we expect female psychopaths to be and to behave? Mm. Well, back to this uh, whole Trump thing, and I think Mm. you pointed this out, Doug, that Trump used the words nasty woman to describe Hillary Clinton, and nasty woman is a buzzword now. There was a whole nasty woman poem that Ashley Judd recited at the Women's March 
in Washington, and a lot of women are grabbing, or a lot of feminist women are grabbing onto this term, like as a term of empowerment, without actually realizing that nasty women do exist. And it's not just a term that you use. I mean, it's really uh, a certifiable psychiatric diagnosis that a lot of these women have a lot of them might not have been formally diagnosed but nasty woman is not a term to claim with pride well it's just yeah it's taking it completely out of context really um i mean taking you know trump referred to hillary that way and he's basically, you know, if you look at Hillary with any depth at all, you see what a nasty piece of work she really is. You know, she's responsible for, what, hundreds of thousands, millions of deaths around the world. She's, <clears throat> you know, people are talking about how she's she's gone after uh, women who have accused her husband of, uh, uh, you know, assaults of various types and how she's just kind of basically tried to shut them right up. And like, she really is a nasty piece of work. I mean, we can't really, you know, um, diagnose her as a psychopath or anything like that, but, uh, you know, <laughs> if the shoe fits, but, um, yeah. it's, it's just really kind of ironic to see that, that women are kind of taking this term as if it's, if, as if it means like powerful women or a woman who doesn't take any shit or like, you know, a woman who's, who can speak her mind and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'm a nasty woman too. And it's like, well, do you really want to associate yourself with who that term was actually intended for? You know, are you nasty in that sense? Are you like, are you psychopathic or, um, you know, do you have, uh, you know, some kind of personality disorder or something like that? Like, do you really want to wear this as a badge of honor? Yeah, do you cackle at the hideous murder of Muammar Gaddafi yeah. in Libya? Do you overturn governments and cause the deaths of thousands of people? Do you defend uh, child rapists in court? Do you throw temper tantrums and piss off all of your security detail <laughs> while you're in the White House? <laughs> I mean, there's so many well, stories that we can't get into. Nasty woman really falls yeah. short. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. I think I just, too. Um, well, I just wanted to address that, like Doug, what you said. I think makes total sense, and that this term, uh, what I was, I, I had brought this up before the show, and I wanted to uh, just address it briefly. That the the idea of like these buzzwords are uh, useful in the sense of getting people's attention, but it's also mm-hmm. kind of a slippery slope in the sense that like, I it's been bothering me a lot lately especially in this like election cycle and everything that's been going on the use of buzzwords to escape the um the necessity of actually explaining yourself and mm-hmm. actually speaking intelligently about what you mean to say um because people will just throw out words that they heard on the news um <clears throat> and like fake news is another one of the biggest ones you know now yeah. it's like I don't know how these buzzwords gain such uh, power. Well, I do, though. I mean, it's neuro-linguistic programming, but there's a whole lot of bunch of other things behind it. But, you know, for instance, you can say fake news and immediately the conversation is just, like, done. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> similarly with nasty women, um, it's now been appropriated by the feminist movement when I, I really feel like they've got to be dissociating from the facts around Hillary's career and what she's done and who she is because she is not a feminist by her actions. She may say it all day long, but she yeah. does nothing that she does nothing that represents or empowers women, you know, not in any real way. Um, 
<clears throat> as a senator, she supported Saudi Arabia, um, you know, which is like one of the most backward countries in the world in, in regards to women's right, rights. And she also voted to give money to uh, military wings in uh, Africa, which were recruiting sh- child soldiers. So yay, children's mm-hmm. rights, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the list goes on and on. <clears throat> so I, I feel like, but it's so hard not to get into that conversation because immediately you try to speak intelligently about things that are going on and, and who people are and who these politicians are, what they've actually done. And it's like buzzword, 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 shut up, mm. you know? And that's what, mm-hmm. that's what bugs me about it. And so I wanted to just like clarify that, that this is not a show about what Trump said to Hillary, although that's certainly a part of it. Uh, this show is yeah. about real women who are, nasty who are damaging who um who are not 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 in the sense of like you know you should be wearing a skirt and standing behind the stove and cooking dinner all day long and raising kids um and and if you rebel against that you're nasty that's not it you know that the the idea is that they've they've taken this term and used it to mean like oh we're we're empowered we're powerful women yeah that's fine we'll say say powerful say empowered when you say yeah. nasty, you confuse the meanings um, and you cause this, this gray area of interpretation where, frankly, uh, female psychopaths can slip through that screen, you mm-hmm. know, of misinterpretation. Also, I want to say that Nasty Woman is the title of a very good book published in 2003 that describes uh, behavior that is characterized as female, in quotes, catty responses to questions or remarks, passive-aggressive tendencies, misunderstandings gone awry, nastiness as a defense mechanism, and withdrawal from arguments or conflict. It's a really very good book, and it is very old, So, and it's called Nasty Woman. <laughs> so that's another reason for the title for our show. <laughs> yeah. And he, he also wrote Nasty People which talks a lot about the use of invalidation in behaviors and something, a a tactic definitely that women use against men, classic invalidation, Mm. but very deceptive and kind of flying under the radar and not overt, as Tiffany was saying. Mm -hmm. And that's part of what makes it so difficult to spot because a lot of people have this idea about women being all sugar and spice and everything nice, so when they come across a nasty woman, they might say, oh, she's having a bad day, or they might not see her for who she really is. It's like the veneer, you know, is okay. As long as it looks pretty, says nice things, then that's fine. But once you scratch under the surface, you see that there's something really dark and disturbing under there. And a lot of people don't want to face that. And mm. since we have the societal belief about women being so fantastic (laughs) Uh, a lot of people are taken by surprise and even if they've come across that they kind of push it aside yeah it's more like uh, passive aggressive behavior or what covert aggression Mm -hmm. so like manipulation feening emotion you know being hysterical Mm -hmm. over emotional jealousy rage manipulation self-harm but all under the sweet smile (laughs) Beautiful. <laughs> I have to. I have to imagine that that uh, uh, women, and you know, of course, Tiffany, Erica, and Gabby, you guys can weigh in on this, but that women know that there are crazy women out there, 
you know, uh, oh, yeah. even <laughs> much more so than men do because you guys can spot yeah. it and we don't have a clue. We don't, uh-huh. we don't see it, you know? Um, yeah. You don't but, see you know, it the, coming. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, the idea that, um, oh shoot, I'm losing my train of thought again, but the, the, this, this idea that there is, so there's this super far left wing of feminism, right? Which is like, uh, misandric, which misandry is the, the female version of misogyny, right? So like kill all men, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. No recognition of like the, the binary nature of humanity and all of that. And, and that's a whole nother discussion, but, uh, so there, there are people who might say, well, like, no, women are, you know, totally exempt from any kind of criticism, which is of course not true. But I have to think that, that most women understand this even more than men do. And that's a really interesting phenomena to me because mm-hmm. men by and large, except your odd, you know, like dude on the street or like stand up comedian are kind of afraid of talking negatively about women because the, the, uh, the, the implications and the uh, consequences from that are that you're you're branded a certain way, you know, mm-hmm. as a misogynist. feminist movement will come down on them really hard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you but, know, we we all have experiences with this. I'm sorry, Gabby. Go go ahead, please. No, I was going to say that actually, my suggestion for this show as a title was uh, the female of the species is more dangerous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. In nature, that's what you find, that the females are more dangerous than the males. Yeah. 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 I've, I've, had, I've had experience, not in my own personal relationships, however, in uh, people who I've known uh, in their relationships, whether it be family or, or uh, you know, uh, partners and things like that. And I have seen secondhand uh, the, the damaging effects that, that a psychopathic woman can have on the world around them. Uh, and it's intense. Uh, a very good friend of mine, um, her mother, you know, without being a doctor and being able to actually give a diagnosis of psychopathy, it's pretty close. Uh, mm-hmm. And the things the things that have gone on, the people that have been damaged, the lives that have been destroyed, um, and, and, all of, and then when you meet this person, they're like, oh, how are you? You know, it's such a nice day. And you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> This is so bizarre because the, story, the stories I've heard, you should be spitting fire and blood, you know? Um, so I think we all have some kind of experience in that area, and it's very interesting that it just doesn't get uh, talked about. I mean, the, the extreme examples you hear about are like Eileen Warnos, right, who was a serial killer. Um, you know, but beyond that, you don't really hear about it. You just hear like, oh, women are crazy, eh, you know? Or like Tiffany yeah. said, oh, she's just having a bad day. <laughs> she's she's got her period. <laughs> <laughs> but do we want to get into like what some of the more clinical terms are for nasty women so we can, you know, really define yeah. what we're talking about? Um, so there's the female psychopath that has a lot in common with the male psychopath. Um, then there's the antisocial personality disorder which I think a lot of people confuse that because they think antisocial means a person just doesn't want to be sociable. But really, it's people who go against social norms and conventions, break rules, criminality. They might know the difference between right and wrong. They might not be born a psychopath. Sometimes they could be. It depends on their environment and their upbringing. Uh, but they grow up to be people who go against social norms. A lot of times they end up in prison. Um, there's also borderline personality disorder, 
which I think that a lot of uh, female psychopaths get misdiagnosed as borderlines because there are female psychopaths who have some borderline traits like the extreme black and white thinking, the emotional ability where they swing from super happy to super depressed. Uh, they have in- unstable relationships, poor self-images. Um, they have self-harming behaviors, impulsivity. So a lot of female psychopaths can have these borderline traits, but it doesn't mean that they're not psychopaths. And there are people, women who have men too, who have borderline personality disorders who might not necessarily be a psychopath. And then there's a well, history. Go ahead. Sorry, go on. Oh, there's a history. Well, I was just going to say that I think in, I think in, in, um, and, and I know I'm cutting you off in the middle of your list and I apologize for that, <laughs> but I was just, I, I was just thinking that, you know, I think the real difference between, uh, like a psychopath who displays these borderline personality traits versus somebody who actually does have borderline personality is that the the, ty- the psychopath would be using these things mm-hmm. as a means of manipulation to get what they want. Mm-hmm. So they might do these things like I don't I don't know if, you know go to the extremes of like harming themselves or you know doing all these different things that can evoke pity um, right. because it's a, a means of manipulation. Um, and they might, you know, it, like one of those things was that they have very low self-opinion of, them, of themselves. But um, I imagine a psychopath probably doesn't have a low self-opinion of themselves at all, right. but has found that that is actually a useful means of kind of manipulating people into getting what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we can get into like some of the different ways that men, male and female psychopaths operate. But uh, just to continue mm-hmm. with the list, there's a histrionic personality disorder, which is this pervasive attention-seeking behavior. Um, they can be inappropriately seductive. They can be shallow, have exaggerated emotions. But as long as attention is focused on them, they're happy. Mm-hmm. And then there's a narcissistic personality disorder, which is this pattern, all-encompassing pattern of being grandiose. They have this strong need for admiration have a strong lack of empathy for other people and other people's feelings. So that's just a brief cluster of these uh, personality disorders that encompasses the term nasty woman. Hmm. So, um, well, I think, do, do you want to start off by, uh, we, we have two clips for today uh, that we'll try to spread throughout the show, but um, do you want to start off with the one about how to spot a dangerous woman, and then we have one later about histrionic personality disorder that can gain some insight from uh, professionals in this area. Okay. If you suspect that there's something not quite right about a particular person, listen to your instinct. So many trusting men have told us after they've been taken for a ride that, you know, I thought from the very beginning there was something suspicious, but she was so friendly, she was so charismatic, so sexy, and she wanted me. How could you resist? Exactly. In fact, this is one of the signs of a potentially dangerous woman. She's too everything, too friendly, too upbeat, too interested, too sensuous. A dangerous woman is fantastic at creating a particular image. She's developed the ability to become exactly what her victim wants from a woman. It's all part of the trap. With laser-like precision, they're amazing at being able to identify any weakness. Being a nice person is seen as a weakness by them. It's something she can exploit. 
If your instinct, that little voice in your head, tells you that something isn't quite right about her, listen to it. It is possibly right, but maybe you need more specific evidence. So let me tell you what else you need to be aware of. Dangerous women and dangerous men, for that matter, tend to be very intelligent and brilliant at making you feel sorry for them. It's part of drawing you in. It's also a test. They want to see how trusting you are. If you don't seem to care enough, they might move on. But if they perfected the image of being so attractive, they figure you'll take pity on them instead, rather than losing them. And when you do that. She'll know that she's got her next victim lined up. She will appeal to your niceness. Really dangerous women will even get you to feel sorry about things that they tell you that are actually quite difficult to prove, or could be really embarrassing for you if you ask them to prove it. For example, we've come across cases of extremely dangerous and dishonest women who falsely claimed that they'd been abused as a child, and some have even claimed that they'd been raped when they were younger. They haven't. They've made it all up. Now we know of one man who paid for her to see a therapist. She didn't go, but kept the money instead. The specifics of what a dangerous woman tells you can vary very widely, but their objective is to draw you in by making you feel sorry for them. Remember that they paint themselves out to be a victim. But they're actually setting you up to be the victim. If she claims to be a victim, as I've just mentioned, gently ask her in a caring way to tell you precisely when it happened. What were the specific circumstances? Where did it happen? What were the dates? Which police station was it reported to? And in a caring tone, encourage her to talk more and more about what she says happened to her. Notice how she answers your questions, or more importantly, how she doesn't answer them. Does she change the subject to avoid saying anything that could be checked or disproved? How secretive is she? Dangerous women are often obsessively secretive. After all, they have got a lot to hide. If you Ever confront her about it? She's quick to accuse you of being the unreasonable one. We heard one story of a guy who was in a relationship with a woman who turned out to be a complete fraud. He made some comment about how secretive she was about her cell phone and the text messages she sent and received. She flew into a rage, claiming that he didn't trust her, and then, in a very grand gesture, said, "If you don't trust me, here's my phone, so you can see for yourself to see that I'm not doing anything wrong." He reached out his hand to take the phone, and then, at the last minute, she pulled it back and told him how pathetic he was. He didn't get to see the phone. Does she appear to be ultra needy? Somebody who's got the knack of making you feel down, or just being in her company makes you feel bad. Are you relieved when she leaves or gets off the phone to you? She'll keep talking about herself and dumping on you all the time, but you haven't got the heart to tell her to stop. Everything is about poor me. Life is so unfair, etc., etc. Men and women who come into intimate contact with dangerous women often have been through weeks or even months and years of questioning their own sanity. When they've come into contact with these sorts of women, she's an expert at put down. She believes that putting down other people will somehow lift her up. 
She's got no qualms about being critical about friends. Now, I've shared just some ways to spot a potentially dangerous woman. But if you or a friend are already in a relationship with a dangerous woman, what can you do about it? Well, I hope you'll find some help on other videos on the Dangerous Women's channel. And if you know anybody who's been targeted by one of these women or you've got suspicions about a woman that they're getting involved in, share this video with them or direct them to venusthedarkside.com. Thanks very much indeed for watching. Very so interesting. Some good, yeah, some good warning signs. Well, I, I find it really interesting. And I think, you know, this kind of comes back to what you were talking about before, Jonathan, that, that men a lot of times aren't actually able to see this when women are a little bit more um, aware of some of the games that, that, uh, that other women might play. And I think uh, it, this can get into some pretty complicated territory as far as um, archetypes and things like that are, are concerned. But, uh, you know, the, there's a whole idea of the white knight, right? And the white knight syndrome, where so many men kind of fall for this. This idea, like, you know, the women just has to kind of put on this this air of being a victim, of needing help, of uh, needing security, somebody to protect her. And we fall for it, like, every time. Uh, it's just something like it's kind of like programmed into us to see this like this uh, this poor suffering woman and how we have to come to the rescue. The damsel and, you know, in it, distress. It could be the damsel in distress. Exactly. It's like it's it's almost like I, I mean I could see that maybe it is actually something that's you know um, evolutionarily programmed into us. You know, like that was in in our uh, hunter gatherer days. That was kind of like the guy the man's job was like the protector. So it's it's kind of playing on that um, that that archetypal um, reality, that thing that that kind of um, drives men in a lot of ways, and how um, you know it kind of it kind of makes sense that that men would be completely blind to it because they're not really aware that they have this tendency, this like program in them to kind of respond to that. But um, that that women, and it's not even necessarily pathological women. I think maybe some women even do this kind of thing like subconsciously. Mm -hmm. But they know that they can get what they want if they kind of can kind of like play the victim in this way. Well, it goes back to what is acceptable by society. Like, for example, nasty woman. We can see more traits that are more manipulative, more pitiful, just because mm -hmm. um, they have been or by culture. We're taught that we cannot be aggressive, you know, or like, you know, so that's that, you know. I agree with you, Gabby. One thing um, about a woman seeing another woman do that type of behavior is what's called triangulation. So it's like a pitting, mm -hmm. pitting of other women against each other. And, and for me personally, that's a huge red flag that when you start to see you know, when you talk about women being gossipy or tearing each other down or invalidating to triangulate and sow seeds of doubt and create division is is a really big sign that, that you're starting to be manipulated. And I think women don't get as easily taken in as men do because they maybe even have that tendency unconsciously to fall into those patterns, especially if we were raised by mothers or women who had, you know, those manipulative tactics just to get through life. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, I think it too, uh, you know, it, it has to do with uh, stereotypes and there's, uh, there's a fine line between, uh, you know, two sides of the stereotype. So like, for instance, um, you know, 
two guys, your friend, like, stubs his toe and flips out. And you're like, come on, dude, suck it up, you know. So that's, you know, that <clears throat> that seems to me pretty reasonable. Then you have the other extreme of the case where, uh, <clears throat> like the guy said in the in the uh, audio there, where uh, a man asks a, a woman, you know, a certain question. He says, you're pathetic. You know, you're a weakling. You're, you're not fitting the stereotype of what a man should be. Well, like, yeah. you know, if, if you, if you flip that around and you want to be objective about it, you know, like you might be pathetic because you didn't make me dinner when I came home. You know, it's like, it, it's just, it's a very similar, I know that sounds harsh, but it's a very similar stereotype. It's like, if you don't act in a way that men are supposed to act, uh, you know, that's been propped up by society, then you can immediately be insulted. And insults from women are some of the most, like, virulent. Like, I, I've experienced this because I'm, I'm pretty sensitive and I have a hard time with confrontation and stuff like that. And when it's hit me in the past, I'm just like, oh, my day is done. My world has fallen. You know, mm-hmm. like, the uh, <clears throat> when those insults are levied in a certain way, they can be really, really impactful. But I, I've seen that type of behavior as well, um, the manipulative behavior the like, you know, like, oh, you're not doing this for me. I mean, on, on a on a very extreme side, I, I used to have a friend who we haven't seen each other for years, but his girlfriend would start fights at the bar so that he had to step in to end the fight. <laughs> you know? And it was almost like a form of entertainment for her. She was freaking crazy. Triangulation, but, um, you know, creating the yeah. drama. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of one of the differences or the subtle differences between male psychopaths and female psychopaths. Female psychopaths will tap more into the emotional part. Like men can be physically intimidating, uh, might be more prone to violence, even though not all psychopaths can be physically violent. But uh, women, because of their differences in strength compared to men, probably would not be violent even though there are some women psychopaths who beat their partners their male partners but um women will often use like property damage the whole emotional manipulation threats of suicide stalking harassment uh smear campaigns just trying to make the other person look bad in the eyes of other people to kind of uh pull them away from society and away from their families so yeah, mm-hmm. the ultimate drama queen, malignant yeah. wand. Yeah, yeah sowing yeah. seeds of doubt, calling mm-hmm. the family, you know, planning ideas, calling the police, claiming yeah. abuse when there is no I abuse. Was right. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But um, I have a a story <laughs> that I can share about oh. a a woman that I know that uh, I think she's borderline personality disorder um when i knew her when i was young uh, i thought she was just you know the life of the party a barrel of laughs she was always like laughing and joking and loud and you know i thought she was like a really cool person (laughs) and then i spent some time with her probably when i was in my late teens early 20s i went down and visited her and I just found out that she was just a weird, weird lady. I mean, she had this strange habit of walking around her apartment. I was staying with her in her apartment. She'd walk around in her panties all the time. And I would be thinking, like, why are you doing this? This is another, like, uh, need to be on display, like, attention-seeking kind of thing. 
she would just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk nonstop about herself, about how great she was, like how she <laughs> had these you know special powers to heal people. She had you know powers to see things that other people couldn't see, like these strong, <laughs> re- these strong religious uh, experiences where she's felt that like she went up into space at some time just really weird stuff and she would talk about like how she was such a great dancer and how she was such a great singer and she looked really good so she thought and how how great of a mother she was which was funny because her kids can't stand her (laughs) and uh (laughs) once uh, a friend of the family a male friend came over and we were all sitting around talking, and then she just did the oddest thing. Like, she thought this was an appropriate time to, like, stand up and start stretching and practicing her yoga moves. And I could tell it was just <laughs> all to get this guy's attention. She's just a really, really strange person. Um, and she had this really odd way of speaking, like mimicry almost. And I can't say where she's from, but where she's from, people don't talk like that. Like, she would... <laughs> Go different places in the country and she'd take on their way of speaking and she had this really odd diction and accent, which is not how she spoke at all, you know, like from where she was raised. Um, and also, uh, she claimed abuse, which may or may not have been true, but there's really another odd thing she did when her family member that died, who she claimed abused her, she went to the funeral and she made a complete spectacle of herself. Like there's, you know, a certain form format that the funeral goes and she completely broke it up. She was sitting up in front of the funeral home, right by the casting on the floor. And people were like, well, who is she? What is she doing? Mm. And she was like pointing and said, yeah, yeah, I know him. I know him. And then she said, I, I want to get up and, you know, sing a song or something. And she sung a song called evil is dead. And it <laughs> It was a religious song talking about triumphing over Satan or something. But, you know, I knew what she was really talking about. But just, (coughs) excuse me, just a really, really strange woman. Her relationships were just fraught with chaos and um, just bad, bad news all around. So that's just (laughs) one example (laughs) of a woman that I know who's caused a lot of chaos in people's lives around her. Well, it's almost like a chameleon, it sounds like, too, with yeah. picking up yeah. speak from different areas and modifying her behavior depending on her audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting what you said about the funeral, because the example I gave earlier about my friend's mother, who is uh, pretty nuts and uh, has, you know, I could go on and on, but I won't like take my word for it. But she <laughs> did a similar thing at a funeral. Mm-hmm. where it was, you know, a respectful, quiet, solemn occasion and kind of made a spectacle and kind of made it all about her. Mm-hmm. And everybody that was there was like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> like what's going on right now? But it's definitely like a lack of uh, – and I, it's – I mean, I guess it could be on like the, you know, what they say, the spectrum, like the autistic spectrum where somebody might have Asperger's and they have less social graces. But it's not – I think in those cases, because those people also have the ability and have exhibited the ability to be extremely uh, socially nimble, mm-hmm. you know, and, and and able to navigate social situations when it serves their interest. 
And people who have Asperger's or things like that don't have that ability. They just can't handle it all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think you can tell when you can see somebody who you're like, wow, this is really weird. Do they have some kind of mental thing going on? If you see them in another situation being like total, you know, like, uh, like bell of the ball, like really talkative and really like open and, and, uh, uh, charming with people. That's a sign that it's not what you thought, you know, there's more going on there. This is a manipulative person. Mm-hmm. I have um I have another sort of experience of a, a woman that I used to work with and uh it was quite a bit different to what you said, Tiff. Um this particular woman, um when she started working at the place that I used to work, um the first time I met her, she basically it felt like she was dumping her life story onto me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like straight away and i was thinking wow you know this person has got some serious boundary issues um but i didn't really think that much of it um she would basically come into work and explain how her ex her ex-husband had been trying to break into her house had been so abusive um and this this was like a constant thing that she would come in and she would offload as soon as you would speak to her it's like you know i i didn't even know this person and she just started talking to me about uh some random guys she was like oh yeah you know uh daniel said this to me the other day i'm like who's daniel you know i, I don't even know who daniel is and she, she, she's, she's she's basically um offloading onto every single person all she ever spoke about was herself mm-hmm. um and it was always type of pity ploy it was like oh you know um, my life is so so bad you know I, I'm, i've gone through so much abuse you know and 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 this was a constant thing and, and lots of other people at the workplace actually noticed this um and so she spent quite a bit of time off work recently um i think because she claimed that her daughter had had an operation on her kidneys and so um so she posted a, a picture of her daughter on facebook uh, a couple of weeks ago and one of her co-workers commented on it saying hey you know um your daughter is looking really really well i'm so happy she's come through the operation okay and um and so she deleted the comment and, uh, and she sent a message to, yeah she sent a message to this individual and she said hey look you know um sorry i had to delete that comment because um because the family don't know that she's had an operation and i need to keep it a secret <laughs> So they thought this was kind of weird. And then another thing happened um, a couple of weeks ago as well, is that she um, she had the day off work, and then she came in the next day, and she said, oh, I'm really sorry. Um, the guy over at the shop opposite the, the workplace, the guy over from the shop, his name's – well, I won't say his name. But basically she said, oh, yeah, uh, my, my ex-husband was trying to break into my house. So this guy basically came over and sorted everything out and, um, and told him to go away. And I, I'm really happy that he helped me. And so another, another co-worker went to the shop and asked the guy about it, you know, just in conversation. They were like, oh, yeah, you're a hero. And he was like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> and then it turns out that this thing didn't even happen. You know, it's just a complete, like, fabricated lie. And this, this individual, they, I mean, like, you would think that if they're going to lie about something, that they would consider the implications of that in the future. But it seems like these types of individuals, um, they don't necessarily even think about any consequential um, happenings of, of what they say. It's almost like um, sometimes the, the lies can be so um, sort of 
out of the blue. They don't even think about whether anyone's going to check it. It's almost like they're so narcissistic that they don't think that anyone would question them. Uh, yeah, but basically that's just my experience. And I think that this particular individual is is kind of um, – there's something to that. She's just – yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's one of the traits of uh, criminal psychopathy, isn't it? I mean, I know that there are various sort of levels of psychopathy, but uh, and that some are violent and some are not. But one of the traits is a, a lack of long-term thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or they just don't care. Or the yeah, or <laughs> really? Just don't care. Yeah. So it's like, who cares if I can make this lie last into the future? Just tell the lie right now because it serves my interest. But also remember that the uh, criminal psychopaths are the ones who aren't very good. They're the ones who get caught. Yeah. Whereas right. uh, there are some out there um, who seem to be incredibly intelligent about the lying that they do. And incredibly yep. manipulative, and clearly have a goal. Like Elliot, your story sounds like that. The that this person didn't really seem to have any sort of goal. They were just kind of doing it for kicks, or that's just, just the way they were. Um, but I do think that there are uh, some very dangerous women, well, and men out there who uh, who who are are sort of master manipulators, and they do this um, incredibly well, and they don't tend to get caught, or at least not right away. Um, and can often be, you know, relatively successful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It can be very pervasive. Like I have an example very close to home. I won't name, I won't name her, (laughs) but she got caught at some point, like, uh, in my mid thirties, you know, and I was reviewing the relationship, you know, and the behaviors. Yes. She showed all signs of, pretty wounded person drama queen kind of thing but what really standed out for me was that in every single situation always forever she was always the victim Mm -hmm. i don't ever recall her ever taking responsibility of anything or doubting herself that was pretty shocking for me because you know having met this person like for three decades you know here i am like oh my god she was always the victim. That's very bad sign. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it can be stressed enough about how much these women use pity ploys to, you know, pull people into their webs. Because, you know, who wouldn't react to someone who's been damaged or who's crying? Like you said, Doug, it's like evolutionarily programmed into us to react to that kind of thing. People, normal mm-hmm. people or people who care want to help. They want to help mm-hmm. these people. They want to ease other people's suffering. And these predators mm-hmm. use that. They actually go after people who have that high empathy. Like those, those people are their victims. They purposely choose them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I noticed too that we had mentioned the, um, the white knight syndrome, Doug, and, and uh, that made me think about the, um, the legal system, I think, is another uh kind of emblematic thing uh in our culture where i don't know if you guys have ever had any personal experience with this i i have not but I, again i've seen it uh so secondhand um but where if there's a any kind of a custody battle or uh, you know a divorce that happens or uh even more so in the case of single parents who aren't married but have children um the male in the relationship has very little to no rights whatsoever in court. Mm-hmm. 
no matter how crazy the woman is. And it's very, very difficult to, to prove, um, that a woman might be an unfit mother. Mm -hmm. And I realized that that is also like, you know, I think misogyny is a real thing. Okay. So that does happen. There are men who are total assholes. Uh, and, uh, but it's, there's this, like, it's a slippery slope between defining the two, because as soon as even in my own internal programming, my own internal dialogue, I say unfit mother. And I'm like, you're being misogynistic, you know, <laughs> in my head, but that's also a real thing, you know? And so it needs to have both sides of any argument like that need to have their, their due diligence. Um, but if you've ever heard any stories or seen anything happen like this in the legal system where, the woman might be unstable, but the man might be very stable. It's still extremely hard for the man to have any kind of custody rights or anything with the children. Um, mm-hmm. The courts immediately go to the women. And that's a, that's a pervasive thing, especially like uh, I think it's probably this way all around the country, but I, you know, I live in a rural area and that's a function of the culture or what, but we have a lot of single mothers around here. Um, mm-hmm. And some of them, you know, frankly, uh, shouldn't have their kids some mm-hmm. not all mm-hmm. just some well i um, think too they use that, them as pawns and yeah. that's how the, the the damage and the trauma gets passed on yeah from generation to generation yeah and really well, like yeah, you because- said jonathan there's nothing you know the courts can't do anything about it and and there is that predisposed belief that well all children should be with the mother mm-hmm I mean, I had an experience with a nasty woman that I used to take care of her children, and she had a 10-year-old daughter, and she was so jealous of this child and would say the most inappropriate things, and, you know, she's going to take my ex-husband away from me, and it was so, I mean, I was 19 at the time, but I could not understand what was happening. It was just the most bizarre thing. Well, this young girl turned out to be an escort in Las Vegas, and now the mother mm. puts pictures of the daughter, you know, with all these famous um, movie stars on her Facebook page. Like, look at my daughter. She's so successful. And it's like, dear God, what just happened there? You know what I mean? God. So this weird jealousy uh, manipulation, but then all these years later comes out to idealize that what essentially she imprinted in her daughter at a very young age. And that's one of the scariest things about nasty women is that they propagate. They have children and they raise them. And I mean, it's different from like some psychopaths. I mean, they can be males and females can be sexually promiscuous And, you know, a male psychopath might have, you know, 50 illegitimate children or something. But a woman, you know, she gets pregnant, she bears a child, she raises a child for the most part. And that is the really awful thing because these people become mothers and it passes on from generation to generation. And I was reading this book recently called Mother Love, and I think it's by somebody, Dr. Badinter. But she questions this whole uh, cultural belief that women are born with this strong mothering instinct and she goes throughout history and she looks at child rearing practices now granted a lot of what is written in history is written about the upper classes 
But uh, there's just all these really awful mothering practices that were happening, like the infanticide, the swaddling, like they would wrap the babies in swaddling clothes and wouldn't even unwrap the swaddling clothes to clean the baby. So the baby would be lying in their waist, and then they have all this skin breakout, and uh, they hang the babies up on pegs. Um, they'd send the, this is especially in the mother, the upper classes, as soon as the babies were born, they would send it off to a wet nurse in the country. And the trip was so awful for this newborn baby to travel out to the country by horse and buggy in a cart. Uh, a lot of the babies would die. Or a lot of the babies, once they got to the wet nurse, would spend years with her. And the mother wouldn't even come and check on the baby. Or the baby would die while they were with the wet nurse. And the mother would have another baby and send that child to the wet nurse. Uh, it was just... <laughs> I mean, just to read it, it was like, oh, my God, women do not have this inborn mothering instinct. At least some of them don't. A lot of them don't. And uh, it was probably around the 1700s or 1800s where the Industrial Revolution was starting. And so many children were dying because of neglect, because their mothers, basically, were not taking care of them the way they should. And they didn't have anybody in the workforce. So that's when they started this whole societal push to have women really delve into the role of motherhood and take better care of their children and to breastfeed them and not feed them, you know, pap or gruel um, and basically try to get them to have a, a more of a stake in their children than they already had at that point. But it wasn't something that they were born with. It was something that society pushed on them so they could have more people to work in the factories. So that's just a short synopsis of the book. Well, it's like Chatter said here, uh, Mariama. She said, not all women are human. They are more like trans-species predators, if that's mm-hmm. the word, you know. Mm. Well, I think um, addressing what I had said earlier about stereotypes, I think that's a thing that comes up a lot in these kind of discussions where <clears throat> you might say, you know, okay, the, the fathers get the short end of the stick in the legal system. Okay, well, are you saying there's no deadbeat dads? No, you know, but then the mothers get the short end of the stick in this other situation. Well, are you saying there's no unfit mothers? No, you know, everybody wants to put something in one or the other camp, this very black and white thinking, and it's it's hard to have a, a reasoned discussion around topics like this, um, but most especially when it comes to uh, damaging or dangerous or uh, nasty women because, uh, you know, the historical white knight syndrome has kind of been genetically programmed into all of our minds. Um, and so we have a very hard time thinking about this. So it's like, I think I had mentioned earlier in the show, and this comes across my own mind a lot where, you know, um, so uh, I, I like comedy, so I watch a lot of comedy. And comedians are, male comedians are always like, well, women are crazy, you know. So it becomes this funny kind of thing. And that becomes the explanation for damaging situations like, oh, she's just kind of crazy, you know. Like, no, she might be a legitimately dangerous person just like a man can be. But we have a hard, very hard time addressing that openly because of the stereotypes. But that's a very important distinction, you know. For all we know, the feminist movement was completely polarized by dangerous woman, you know, mm-hmm. psychopathic woman. And then, you know, for example, you see it a lot in healthcare. Um, 
for example, women are very protected against um, aggressiveness, violence against women, violence against Women Day, and so forth. If there is an issue with a couple, if there was a fight, you know, and there is a referral for mental health, well, it's the woman is going to be picked up immediately, and the man, you know, never mind, she was the predator, maybe he was the victim, but he will have the short sticks, definitely, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and the uh, I think, Doug, you had briefly mentioned the physical abuse side of things. It was Doug or Tiffany said something about that, mm-hmm. and that, that that is a real thing that I think it's almost completely ignored. So, yes, by and large, statistically, men are stronger than women. Don't crucify me. It's a statistic. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but, I, you know, for instance, uh, my girlfriend plays uh, roller derby, and some of the women that play roller derby, a, a lot of them, like the, the majority of them, could run circles around me. Like, And I, I play <laughs> hockey. I'm moderately <laughs> athletic. I'm not like a pro athlete. I'm moderately athletic. But I've, I've seen women play who are so strong, so fast, you know, and they could kick my ass, frankly, like if they wanted to. (laughs) So this idea that a woman can never be physically abusive towards a man is utterly ridiculous, you know, and that I I think gets completely ignored. There's a lot of physical abuse that goes on, uh, especially with men who might get roped into a relationship uh, where they're too afraid to say anything about it or to, to extract themselves. Uh, and it well, turns into just like, a lot of cases too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because like you know, the, 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 it, it is you know, it does play into the stereotypes, and it's like you were saying earlier, Jonathan. Like the whole, um, you know, that that these uh, nasty women can kind of use these um, weak points, like chinks in a man's armor. Um, that to, in order to manipulate, and it's like you know, if you uh, you know, if there is physical abuse going on, like a woman is actually physically abusing a man, like how many how many men are going to go to their buddies and say, yeah, my girlfriend's beating me up? It's like pro- it's <laughs> no. probably not going to happen because guys, it's like it's 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 a shameful kind of thing. But guys, uh, I, I, th- have, I think there's sorry, go ahead, Gabby. I have a very interesting statistic. Anecdotally, from my experience on the emergency room. I have seen more uh, women beating up men than the other way around. Like on Christmas, like the woman hit the man with a Christmas tree. He was basically (laughs) almost in tears, you know. I remember several cases of she being the aggressor, you know, physically violent. And uh, and I just recall one single case where he was a dangerous man, and it was a Muslim woman, and we were all very proud of her because she went to the emergency room and had everything, all the procedures done so she could get rid of him. But that was just one case, you know? <laughs> just... <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh... Again, with the extremes, something else that comes to mind, too, is, and uh, we've talked about this off-air before, but uh, if you guys have ever heard of the MGTOW movement, M-G-T-O-W, it stands for Men Going Their Own Way. Mm. Uh, It's this whole, I don't want to get into it in detail, but it's this whole thing. It's like the other extreme where men who have been abused and traumatized by women have, like, completely sworn them off entirely. So it's like the, it's like the male version of radical feminism, uh, Mm. And that's, I think that, you know, while it it bothers me, I think these guys should chill out a little bit and have some, you know, reasonable discussion around what's happening. Uh, I think it is actually a natural outflowing of our inability to address issues equally on both sides of of any given argument. You know, if Mm -hmm. if you have a 
a society which is afraid to talk about certain things, then eventually, yeah, one group of people is going to go way over here and another group is going to go way over there and they're going to hate each other. And that's just going to happen. It's unfortunate, but. So do we want to so, talk so, about some uh, some red flags to look out for? I was yeah. going to say the same thing. Yeah. So one of the first ones, like in the video where the guy said that the woman is just too everything. She's too <laughs> smart. She's too chatty. She's too fun. It's just almost hard to believe. But uh, a lot of these women can have overly provocative or seductive behavior upon first meeting somebody. Like they'll breach their personal space. They'll ask them a lot of questions about themselves in order to better, you know, gather information in order to manip- manip- manipulate them better. Um, they immediately want to take the relationship to the next level. Like they want to start, you know, talking about moving in together when they just met. Uh, they act like the relationships are more intimate than they really are. And, of course, there's a lot of the uh, attention-seeking behavior. And this can play out, like, uh, with how a woman is presents herself physically. Like, sometimes she might actually be physically attractive. But uh, a lot of studies say that these women put a lot more work into their physical appearance. So even if they are technically not all that pretty, they put a lot of work into it, like with their makeup and their clothing, just to present a certain facade to people so they can more easily get into other people's graces because a lot of people fall for that whole beauty thing. They think just because you're attractive on the outside, that means that you're good on the inside too. Um, Mm. They have this exaggerated speech style. Like everything is so dramatic and intense, uh, emotionally elevated speech. But if you listen closely, it is not really like much detail or many facts into what they're saying. And they have these emotionally labile moments where they swing from one extreme to the other, or they can be very shallow with their emotions. So those are just some of the the red flags to look out for. But so much of it, like we're all individuals, so much of it can be individual to a certain person. And for the female nasty woman, psychopath, narcissistic, borderline person, they kind of cater what they do according to the man that they're with or the person that they're trying to manipulate. So it's hard to kind of really pin down exactly what it is that's going on. But a lot of people Mm. have this instinct, like you need to really look at these red flags, pay attention to what you're feeling. And if part of you is feeling like disgust or if you're feeling like put off, like you want to get away from this person, you need to pay attention to that. But they have ways of kind of circumventing our doubts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one in particular, uh, one of the uh, articles that we looked at for the show was talking about a, a technique they use called love bombing. Mm-hmm. And love bombing apparently is just like absolutely bombarding the person with like flattery and making them feel, you know, more validated and a really special person and all these kind of things that really play into like what like a normal person's insecurities essentially. So, you know, your, your average man out there probably has a lot, a lot of insecurities and that they're suddenly getting all this attention from an attractive woman who is, you know, giving, telling them how great they are and all how wonderful they are. I mean, that's like, you're basically getting them high, 
mm-hmm. right, on their own kind of body chemicals. Um, so, you know, it, it makes it that much more difficult for a person to be able to actually look at the situation objectively because they're sitting there, you know, and they're, they're, they're being bombarded by these, uh, feel good chemicals. It's like, you know, a, your, your entire physiology is geared towards wanting that. It doesn't want to like question this or, or, um, or stop it in any way. So I think, um, it actually takes a relatively strong person to be able to take a step back and be like, wait a minute. This is too good to be true. Yeah, and then it goes, up, up it goes up a level, like on top of the love bombing is like they just blast them with super sex. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, talk about a chemical rush. I mean, you can't think straight if you're just, you know, in bed all the time, <laughs> you know, with this woman who's just doing everything that you dreamed of. Yeah. Well, I also think it's like somebody said in the chat earlier that if you have never had this experience, how would you know? Mm-hmm. And and I always like mm-hmm. to use the saying, like, once you've smelled a skunk, you always know what a skunk smells like. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you have to have that experience with a woman like this. And I'm talking about being a female as well to really spot it, mm-hmm. to be able to see the manipulations and the machinations for them getting what they want. Like one of the mm-hmm. things in one of the articles that we were reading, I was talking about a case study in female psychopaths and they talk about how they can be very servile. So they'll do all these things. They'll go out of their way to serve a man and, and get, give him this and give him that and even take insults and, you know, quote unquote abuse. But in the end they like want the house or they want the inheritance or they mm-hmm. want the car, or whatever, mm-hmm monetary or if that makes sense kind of they have an agenda and some of these women are willing to spend years doing it investing in this just to get a means to an end and Mm -hmm. then move on to the next victim Mm -hmm. well it's almost like an investing in like it's like a currency almost like it's 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 an investment like they're doing all these things not because they care but because those things can then be turned around and used Right. So if, if at any point the, the, the man is kind of like wising up some and going, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Then all of a sudden they've got a whole laundry list of, you remember I did this for you. I did that for you. I did all these things. You know, it's, um, it, it's uh, like a, like it's, it's currency for, like they're investing in their future in a way. Or if a family member wises up, then the family member becomes the black sheep of the family, you know, defamed Mm. and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Tiffany, you had brought up, you know, sex, and I was going to say let's not uh, ignore the fact that men, by and large, not every man, again, not doing a blanket statement, but will do anything, anything in the world for the promise of an orgasm, anything Mm -hmm. at all. Uh, And so, yeah, that includes (laughs) with putting up with abuse, you know, and and being blind uh, to the signals. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think that's that's one of the biggest – drivers um, well you know male is, is, psychopaths is use that super sex too i mean women like sex yeah. also so <laughs> of course of course yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah you guys just don't get like uh completely mentally incapacitated by the idea of I don't want to get personal <laughs> here, but I'll use some other people as an example. I've seen women just turn into just drooling idiots when they had yeah. a, a, a boyfriend. 
and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm I'm falling victim to the stereotypes as well there. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot help it. <laughs> but then it's also that isolation. So whether it's male, female, female, male, whatever, the, the, the slowly pulling the person away, isolating them, planting seeds mm-hmm. of doubt, um, it, for full control. Mm-hmm. It's it's all about mm-hmm. control and manipulation. Yeah. Especially when the other There's, person uh, starts to see it, and a little bit, it's almost like a like a crack in the egg, and and they've got to build that wall around them so so they're not revealed. Mm-hmm. So they really have no place else to turn but to the nasty woman. Yeah. 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 Well, one other of the the red flags that I read about when researching for this was um, jealousy. And apparently uh, dangerous women or nasty women um, are quite prone to jealousy and will often pry a lot into um, uh, a man's past relationships. Um, and ha- there, there will be kind of some jealousy there. Or Erica, you mentioned that story about the, the woman who was actually jealous of her daughter yeah. and that uh, she might actually take her husband away. I mean, or... Was it stepdaughter? No, I mean, it's anyway, daughter. It, Biological. Uh, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So and, and apparently, um, you know, these jealous rages aren't entirely uncommon amongst these uh, these nasty women. So I think that's another um, another red flag that should kind of be watched for. And women mm-hmm. experience that with nasty women too, whether it's on the job, you know, or in mm. friendships kind of creating the, this high drama environment and, you know, jealous about possessions. It's just the most bizarre thing when you start looking at it, like, what the hell is going on here, you know? Or they claim that other people are jealous of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people in the chat yes. room are bringing up this strategy called gray rock strategy in order to protect mm-hmm. yourself from these nasty women but it can be employed with anyone who's nasty and this is basically acting like a gray rock not giving up any information about yourself not engaging with that person just trying to be as dull and as uninteresting as you can be <laughs> so the person doesn't take an interest in you and doesn't try to pursue you as one of their victims and in I the nasty sure. books the author I, was his name Jay Carter? He talks about how yes. you have to kind of pull yourself and ha- out of the the immediate situation and have more of like a um, a situational awareness of the bigger picture. Because you know we all have to work in environments with other women and men, and sometimes when you're spending eight hours a day with these people, you can't necessarily just walk away, especially if the nasty woman is your boss or co-workers so how to not personalize things as well too mm-hmm. so the nasty woman will start to attack you on whatever it is it you know it could be a work situation and and to just see the bigger picture like where the manipulation is going and not kind of feeding into the drama yeah not taking it personally is really important because you have to realize that this is just the way that these people are and many cases and if they're not doing it to you they'd be doing it to somebody else it's not like they have anything against you personally they just need a victim and they need to vent on somebody and you just happen to be there an easy target (laughs) yeah sure 
And I mean, what they're feeding on is the emotional response that you're given, right? Mm-hmm. Or giving. So, you know, if they're, if they're, they, they cut you down because they know that, you know, you're reacting. Um, so part of the gray rock strategy is to not, um, outwardly react to that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, the idea being that they're just going to get bored because they're not getting a reaction out of you. So there's no point in, in continuing on. Yeah, I would think that would be the majority of cases. I mean, except maybe in the, in the case where you have, um, you know, mi- millions of dollars, uh, where the nasty woman or person would want to stick around to try to dig some of that gold. Um, but you know, I don't know if we have any millionaires in our audience or not, but you know, the, uh, the vast majority of us don't have that. And Tons. so it's the, yeah. <laughs> It's the, uh, it's like you said, it's the promise of, uh, emotional feeding, emotional manipulation. Mm-hmm. And if you cut that off, uh, like one of our chatters, uh, both said they'll get bored and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have to realize that on an esoteric level, a lot of this is just basically about energy and feeding on people's negative energy and that emotional loosh that they get is their food. So you have to cut off their food mm-hmm. supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, speaking from a practical perspective too, that can also be very difficult. So it's not like a, like a magic pill where you can shut this off. Sometimes mm-hmm. these types of people, whether they're psychopaths or not, but even like, you know, borderline people will be so persistent <clears throat> that, uh, you know, I have seen and have had to do in my own life to where you're just like, man, leave me alone. You know, like you really got to like lay it down. Um, and, uh, that can be extremely hard, especially if you're like kind of a non-confrontational person, it's really hard, uh, to, to tell somebody to just like screw off and go away. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes, you know, you can do the gray rock strategy, but then sometimes you just have to like put your foot down and be like, yeah, no. Yeah. don't let anybody walk all over you. And that's where a lot of the working on yourself comes in. You can't be a doormat. You have to have confidence in yourself and be able to stand up for yourself. And a lot of that comes with working on yourself. Some of it comes with experience and age. And it's sad to say, but I think that a lot of these um, interactions with nasty women or nasty people in general are necessary in order to learn. Mm-hmm. Because... yeah. I mean, you can read a bunch of books about it, but if you don't have any personal experience with it and you haven't felt it in your own gut and seen it for yourself and experienced it for yourself, it's hard to really get that feeling of what to look out for and what you need to do. And to to trust trust those red flags, too, Mm -hmm. as the video clip was talking about. Like, all these men had these little red flags, and instead of just pausing for a moment mm-hmm. to actually contemplate, well, why am I having these, these sensations? They just fall back into it. And- yeah. You have to have mm-hmm. uh, strong boundaries of your own where, you know, nobody can invade that. That doesn't mean that you can't care about people or help other people, but you have to know when to draw the line. Like this woman, I gave an, an example, another <laughs> weird thing that she would do. Like she always wanted to talk about herself and talk about history and talk about past and how she was abused and she's a victim and blah, blah, blah. And if you don't want to listen to her, she would just keep going and keep going. 
and eventually you get up and you leave the room and she would follow you <laughs> from room to room. <laughs> Why don't you want to talk about this? I want to talk about yeah. this. And there's, Somebody. I mean, being a gray rock in that situation is not going to work. You're going to have to put your foot down and get up in her face and say, you need to stop. And sometimes, I mean, you know, it might realize come to blows. That, you know, <laughs> he hasn't realized that women like have it really, that really were abused. They're not like that. They mm-hmm. don't like, you know, mm. they don't expose their abuse as a trophy, you know, come on. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a very interesting point. I've noticed that too, that there are some people who talk about abuse a lot. And I, I, I've had the same thought, you know, that, you know, if you like, okay, so maybe it happened, but maybe it wasn't as bad as they say. I don't know. You know, I don't know what the truth of the situation is, but by and large, pe- pe- people who I, I have gotten to know as close friends who I happen to know have been abused don't ever talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, unless it's in like a therapy kind of situation or a real somber, quiet, respectful, personal moment where that topic happens to come up, but they don't trumpet it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wait, uh, should we go to our another our other uh, clip here, Tiff? We had a clip on uh, histrionic personality disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Histrionic. What is histrionic personality disorder? Histrionic personality disorder is characterized by an excessive emotionality as well as a pattern of attention-seeking. It's important to note that the attention-seeking doesn't have to all be good attention. Patients with histrionic personality disorder often operate that um, any attention is better than no attention at all. What are the signs of histrionic personality disorder? A person with um, histrionic personality disorder is going to be attention-seeking, and that attention does not have to be good attention. It can be bad attention. Any any attention at all is better than none. They need to be the center of attention. They will constantly be drawing uh, attention to themselves. They they will make scenes, create, you know, uproar. Um, They're often quite seductive and uh, coquettish. They will... uh, Need, you know, they may control relationships by being very dramatic and theatrical. Uh, they can appear very needy and dependent. These patients also um, play hunches. You know, they're they're not very cognitive. And that's not, that's not to say that they're not intelligent, but they often make their decisions based on how they feel about things. You know, they do not like routine. They get bored easily. So they often will start projects with an enormous amount of enthusiasm, only to never finish it. You know, they get tired of people, really. I mean, just like projects, they get tired. You know, they'll start their relationships with people and then drop them. You know, they will dump you like a hot rock if something more interesting comes up. In addition, it's important to, to note that patients with uh, histrionic personality disorder, despite the fact that they are very emotional and incredibly dramatic. One of the things that's always a cue for me as the interviewer or the psychiatrist, you know, is that I'll have someone who's expressing a lot of intense emotion and I'll find myself curiously unmoved by that, you know. So there is sort of a disingenuineness despite what appears to be an intensity of feeling involved. And I think that should be a cue, you know. There's a, they, they appear somewhat insincere, you know, despite the fact that they're claiming to have a lot of intense feeling. 
and that would apply to their relationships with people as well. They often will, you know, tell you that um, they'll characterize relationships as much more intimate than they actually are. In other words, you know, you'll be talking to someone and they'll go, oh, she's like totally like my best friend, and you just met her last week. What are the causes of histrionic personality disorder? I, I don't know of any um, convincing evidence that there's anything, anything uh, linked to the etiology of histrionic personality disorder. It is much more, it is thought to be much more common in women than men. Um, and that may just be a social thing, is that uh, women can act like that and get away with it a little more easily than men. What are the dangers of histrionic personality disorder? I think the, the dangers of this, of this disorder is that, you know, despite the fact that these patients really do crave uh, intimacy and closeness with other people, is that by virtue of their personality disorder, they're never going to get that. Um, you know, people kind of tire of their theatrics after a while and their and their what appears to be apparent disingenuineness. Um, occupationally, uh, I guess it might be possible for them to function quite well if A, that sort of theatrical drama was required by the job or they had a job in which um, their behavior was tolerated somewhat. What are the treatments for histrionic personality disorder? There aren't any uh, established treatments that uniformly work. I think uh, being histrionic puts you at risk to develop mood disorders. These patients get depressed pretty easily. And uh, if you meet criteria for a major depressive disorder, then you should be treated with antidepressants. But there's, uh, I think the major treatment would be insight-oriented psychotherapy, trying to get the person to develop some insight into the link between their behavior and people's reactions to them. Okay, so that was a little bit on histrionic personality disorder. Do we want to get into a little bit into if these people can be cured or is this hardwired into them? Uh, sometimes abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse as a child can lead to some kind of personality disorder. But again, you know, regardless of what the cause may have been, may not have been, is the behavior in the present. So if a person is acting like a nut with you because she was abused, it, she's still acting like a nut and you need to get away from her. Um, but yeah. can they, can they be cured? I don't know. Um, like with some borderline personality disorders, they do something called dialectical behavioral therapy, which the research says has some effect. But a lot of these people are not going to go into therapy. They're not going to seek treatment on their own. There might be some other extenuating circumstances that might plop them down on the psychiatrist's couch. But by and large, uh, a lot of these people, you know, think the other people are the problem, not them. So mm -hmm. is there any treatment? I mean, <laughs> One could argue that those who had... Uh BPD or bipolar personality disorder and recovered, maybe they didn't have that diagnosis to begin with. Maybe mm -hmm. they were very wounded and uh, because of who they were, truly were, you know, they were able to recover. Other researchers actually suggest that this is actually like all these personality disorders. They are like a garden variety of pathological personalities that are mm -hmm. more like psychopathic. Mm -hmm. So, just on the psychopathic spectrum. 
They might not mm-hmm. be full on meet all the criteria like Harris uh, psychopathy checklist. They might not score a perfect score of 40, but they're somewhere on there. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, you know, from, from what we've talked about in some of the research that we've done, you know, if you look at, like you said, one extreme essential psychopaths, clinical psychopaths, most likely can't be cured. I think yeah. that's the nature of their their being or, you know, whatever they're missing. They're missing that, that mechanism for empathy. Uh, and I think, you know, it's we have to consider the broad spectrum of, of, uh, of, of human emotion and, and fallibility and, and problems. That's why, like, I have some problems with the DSM. Like, I understand that we need some sort of a diagnostic model, um, but at the same time, it can be misused. So it's like, Gabby, like you said, you know, somebody might exhibit the traits of bipolar, uh, but then they're able to level themselves out, you know, even without medication in some cases. But I've also known people who were legitimately bipolar or whatever that might be, who are like all over the place, you know, one minute, like you would think they were doing cocaine and the next minute they were just like so depressed. Um, and it just swings back and forth and back and forth. I think uh, unfortunate reality of this situation is a lot of people get onto medications, um, which then eventually make things worse over a long period of time. So uh, I was going to say, like, uh, I think the best cure in some of these cases, so for a person who may be like, just like, pardon my French, but kind of shitty, like just a manipulative person, they uh, they may need like a... <clears throat> either to like hit rock bottom or have like a smack in the face or some kind of a dramatic situation in their life, which causes them to wake up to how they're acting. And that can be something that changes the course of, of how they act. In other cases, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's misfiring in the brain and there's, I don't, you know, I don't know what you can do about that aside from medication, which has its own dangers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not like just one or the other thing. Yeah, and in some cases, it just might be the case of a person being a soul in struggle. Like, maybe they were abused. Maybe they were raised in a very highly narcissistic family, and they just didn't learn any coping skills or how to relate to a person in a normal way. And I think uh, there's a big difference between that and someone who's just born whacked. (laughs) And there's no hope for that person. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the capacity for insight, you know, most of these people, are really nasty pieces that we're talking about, doesn't have that even remotely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if I'm honest, you know, and I use myself as an example, I used to be pretty, pretty selfish, pretty self-centered when I was younger. And, uh, of course, you know, like it still happens from time to time, but I try not to do that anymore. But uh, a lot of that turned around when a friend of mine told me that I was a narcissist. And I was like, what? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, somebody's observing something about me that I can't see. So let's try to figure this out. And that was part of like the turning point where like I began to generally be less selfish in my life. So that, but that's, that's a pretty mild example. I don't know, at least I don't think I have any like clinical diagnoses, like personality disorders. Except maybe some mild OCD, but you know, like uh, it's there's there's a broad spectrum of of how these things exist and how they manifest. Um, 
So I, I, I don't know. It, you know, but the, the people who are really manipulative, I think, like you said, wounding can play a big role in that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they might be raised a certain way. Say they were raised by, like, hypothetical situation. There was a woman who was beaten by her husband somehow managed to get out of that situation and raise a daughter and then instilled in her the idea that all men are scum, you know? So that's one like hypothetical situation. And so now, now that girl thinks that she has to act a certain way and manipulate reality around her in order to be okay. Um, that can happen too. And then people get programmed to act a certain way. I think in those cases, the cure quote unquote, like, so to speak, uh, could be essentially therapy, you know, and just mm-hmm. talking through it and realizing that the world is not necessarily the way that you see it. Mm-hmm. So in so, any case, yeah. it takes a lot of work on yourself. If you aren't one of those, uh, born that way, personality disordered people or born that way, nasty mm-hmm. woman. <laughs> I'd be curious. I know that we're coming up on our time a little bit here, but I, I would be curious to hear if any of our listeners uh, have any stories that they want to share. Maybe we can just kind of riff for the next few minutes and give people a chance to call in if they want to. Uh, mm-hmm. On the site, there's a uh, where you're listening to show. There's a red button uh, that says "Speak with the Host." And you can click on that, and you just need a microphone on your computer. Um, but I would be curious to hear other people's experiences if anybody wants to to give us a call. Especially if um, any men have any experiences with nasty women. Yeah. It's always nice to hear from a man. A lot of the times, like we said earlier, um, men are embarrassed. They don't want to talk about how some woman used and abused them. It makes them seem like less of a man. And really, right. that's not the case. Men need support. They need emotional support, too. I mean, I mean, we've made it pretty yeah. clear that women aren't always the victims. They can be the victimizers, too. And if more men speak up about it, and they share their stories with their friends, and maybe their friends won't get taken in. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that, because I would also, uh, from, you know, as a man, I'm curious to hear this from women, because as we've mentioned briefly, and I think it's true that you guys see this by and large more than we do. You're able mm-hmm. to perceive it, because you know the the signs, and perhaps you know the, <clears throat> the subtle psychological differences between men and women from a female perspective, how to spot these signals. I mean, I can't tell you how many times um, my female friends have in relation to another girl who's like, say a friend of mine is, is just gotten into a relationship and they're like, Oh no, like mm-hmm. that's a crazy one. You know, like they need to be careful. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and that, you know, statistically, at least what I've noticed, that com- that advice comes more from women than it does from men. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. There were a couple of stories shared on the chat that were very interesting, but the chatter says he cannot call right now. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling he learned by smelling that yeah. skunk. <laughs> What not to do? Gaslighted. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Well, I can so speak I just so from personal experience of having girlfriends who exhibit that kind of behavior. And um, I'm thinking of one in particular that I've known since I was very young. 
And um, in the nasty books, uh, Carter talks about how when you're around these type of people, you feel extremely drained Mm -hmm. and tired and you just can't wait to get away from them. And again, I think it just comes with life experience. Like you, you feel like, well, I've known this person my whole life and she's just going through a hard time or, you know, she had a bad childhood and kind of like the, the embellishing of the stories of, you know, incest or rape or this. But you start to see over 20, 30 years this pattern of like all these bad relationships and, you know, you spend an inordinate amount of time giving advice and, and, you realize at one point, or at least I have, that it's all just an energy drain. It's mm-hmm. like a feeding dynamic. And no matter how much advice you give, no matter how many times you say this, that, or the other thing, they continue to do the exact same thing <laughs> time and again. And at that point, you know, you just have to walk away and oh, I'm just really busy. I'm sorry. I'm not available mm-hmm. ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I think one one thing that's worth mentioning is, uh, oh, do we have a caller? No, we don't. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, it, it, in in dealing with this kind of thing from a female and a male perspective, uh, is the idea of uh, the work or the work on the self, which is a whole another conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that we talk about quite a bit. And if any of our listeners are not familiar with that, uh, you know. Um, just the idea of dissecting your inner workings, you know, with the help of people who have been there before mm-hmm. so that you can see how your programs work, you know, how your programmatical thinking, your inner dialogue, how that takes over your reason and, and logic and the way that you uh, conduct your life, um, how things in our society have uh, have kind of weeded out and dampened compassion and how you can bring that uh, back in, in your own life in balance with uh, standing up for yourself and, and being stern at the same time. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into that, but that, you know, looking into writers like uh, Uspensky and, uh, and Gurdjieff and Moraviev and, and uh, you know, some of these philosopher authors um, who have spoken about dissecting the inner workings of the human mind in order to better understand ourselves, that you don't have to be, you know, a trained philosopher to get into this kind of material. It's, uh, it can be extremely helpful, um, in, in dealing with these kind of situations. And I would say most especially in cases where people might be in a situation where they're being taken advantage of, um, <clears throat> because that, you know, as we've mentioned that, you know, it takes suffering to learn lessons and that kind of suffering can really bring about a clarity, uh, that you wouldn't otherwise experience. Mm-hmm. Um, people that are comfortable and pampered throughout their whole lives don't usually learn very much at all because it takes a certain amount of suffering to actually learn a lesson. So I don't know that I would recommend people, you know, check out the, uh, the, the Cassiopeia forum, uh, and, uh, you know, check out, uh, the articles that are posted on site quite a bit. You know, it's, there's general news around the world, but there is also, articles on there that reference this idea of the work on the self. And that can be something that can really, um, can really help. Um, I know it helped me, you know, it helped me go from being like a, a completely, uh, anxious, uh, self-involved person, 
to at least thinking about those kind of things when they come up and being like, uh, this is not the way I should be right now, you know? And, um, I, you know, I, I grew up in the Christian church and I didn't do anything in that regard for me. <laughs> no, they just tell you to um, turn the other cheek and show love. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. Send bumps of love. <laughs> yeah. What it took with encountering a certain school of, of philosophy that, uh, that talks about balance and understanding how your mind works and not just like taking other people's word for it, essentially. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have had a similar experience of that kind of dramatic shift. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Well, <clears throat> well, no, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can, <laughs> I have to write an essay first and like really kind of pick it apart. Oh, do we have really two more hours? <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. I well, I think also, like you know there, it was mentioned on the chat like work situations like you're noticing that there's these type of nasty women or nasty men in your work environment i think it's safe to say that if you can see it yourself and protect yourself i think you get into kind of muddy waters when you try and warn other people mm-hmm. because that kind of feeds uh-huh. the drama in a sense uh-huh. you know yeah. like oh she's crazy you know you like Believe me, it's, you gotta bite your tongue and like, don't, don't let it fall out of your mouth right now. But just to, to have your own strategy, <laughs> but try not to fall into that, you know, well, you gotta watch out for her. Yeah. I had a, uh, an experience that speaks just to that with a nasty woman at work who would drive me crazy. And I implemented the gray rock strategy <laughs> and, uh, we had a it new worked. person come on at work and, uh, I didn't tell her anything about her, but it just slipped out recently that she's figured it out on her own. <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah. Well, I don't. It's it's hard to be black and white about it and just say don't ever say anything or tell everything. I yeah. think you have to kind of analyze each situation yeah. differently because I mean there certainly is power in networking about these sorts of things and kind of being like you know is it just me or is that person kind of crazy. And, you know, yeah. getting another opinion on it or something. But I think you, you have to be careful with who you do that with and mm-hmm. maybe somebody who, um, who who you know you can trust in a certain manner. Um, guys, yeah. it looks like we might have a caller on the line here. Let's see who it is. Hey. Yay. Okay. Hello. Caller, you are on the air. Are you there? Hello. Hi. Hi. Hello. Yeah. What's your name? Hi. Adam. Hi, Adam. Hey, Adam. <laughs> Hi, Adam. Thanks for Hello. calling in. What do you want to say? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to give uh, an experience of uh, a nasty woman in my family. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a very, very narcissistic person. And it just, like y'all were describing, it's such a drain just to be around her. Um like I have to see her for family gatherings and uh, it's just, it's a real big drain because everything has to be focused on her and everything has to be. Uh, and he's disappeared. Oh, <laughs> oh are you there? Are you still there, Adam? Oh, 
Uh, is that? Yeah, we kind of can't oh, hear I think you. We have a weak connection. Yeah. Yeah. Shoot. Well, thanks for calling, Adam. Sorry, yeah. we have a bad connection there. <laughs> oh well, he tried. <laughs> he did. She found out. <laughs> she got Thank you, Adam. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> She's outside the house with clippers, cutting the phone line. <laughs> <laughs> we can all relate. Damage control. Yeah. Damage control. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if we bring this back around to uh, our topic, and thank you, Adam, for calling that, that helps us kind of like circle back, you know, to the topic of nasty women. And I apologize for getting off track there for a minute, but that uh, that this everybody does have experience with this, and I think, like Tiffany said, a lot of people, uh, men and women alike, are embarrassed to bring it up because it is embarrassing to admit that you were taken advantage of, and very few people mm-hmm. are willing to to open up about that. And, uh, in order to deal with it, you have to talk to somebody. You can't just keep it to yourself. Um, cause mm-hmm. you never process it or actually resolve this situation. So, uh, yeah. I guess my yeah. advice to anybody, like find somebody that you can talk to it, uh, about it, um, you know, and get it out in the open. Uh, you don't have to like, you don't have to publish an article in the paper or like publicly mm-hmm. shame somebody. <clears throat> you just have mm-hmm. to like, communicate to other people about it so that somebody knows what's going on that's very excellent advice because a lot of people stay in a very pathological relationship just because they're ashamed you know to admit that they were taken Mm -hmm. in and a Mm -hmm. lot of these relationships can be so damaging it can kind of crush your self-esteem and leave you with symptoms of ptsd so it's understandable that people will be reticent to actually talk about it not because they don't want to is because they're just so broken down by this nasty woman that they kind of lost their senses lost their way and they need help to kind of bring themselves out of it so yeah if you can talk about there's a there's another situation too um that can often happen i mean if somebody's getting uh, you know has been in a, a relationship with one of these uh nasty women it can kind of damage all your other relationships too mm-hmm. you know there's a thing they're turning each other and uh suddenly you're not speaking to family members anymore um all your friends have given up on you you know it's it's a lot of times like i, I was reading a lot of different uh, uh first-hand accounts before this show and a lot of uh situations where guys were like they they don't their life is gone like you know they lost you know maybe lost property lost their job lost all this different stuff because of all these kind of manipulations and and uh the 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 situation they're left in they're just absolutely destroyed and um in those kinds of situations i mean it's it gold from and all you know all i can really say is you know do <laughs> try and uh try and find somebody you can talk to about it Well, <clears throat> do you guys think that it's a good time to go to uh, our pet health segment for today, and then uh, we can come back and kind of wrap things up? Sure. That's a good idea. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. Today, I would like to bring up proper nutrition again. It seems like there is always wealth of information on this topic. 
This time, it is an interview by Dr. Karen Becker that she conducted with Dr. Nancy Martin, a mixed animal veterinarian, where they talk about species-appropriate nutrition for pets. Enjoy. I'm Nancy Martin. I'm from a mixed animal practice in Northern California. I started out as a large animal veterinarian and then morphed into a mixed animal veterinarian. My experience with nutrition started with uh, food animals, and um, in that realm, it's very important to be holistic, and it's very important to deal with deficiencies in your own environment and with uh, problems with genetics and address those as you work with people to create a healthy herd of animals. So it was kind of a natural for me to move on into small animal medicine, looking at the same uh, issues and trying to help people with the same suggestions and knowledge. Well, and you previously you brought up a really great point that as a large animal practitioner and your training as a large animal vet, you had pretty ex- and your background as an animal science major, you had pretty extensive nutritional training pertaining to large animals. But that doesn't happen in the small animal realm. Um, through vet school, um, we just don't. I don't feel that we have an adequate background and training as graduated veterinarians into what species-appropriate nutrition really is. You have been able to morph from a large animal vet to a mixed animal vet, and you've morphed your extensive knowledge of large animal nutrition into small animals. So how did that, when I say how did that come about, what inspired you to do that? Ill health. Yeah. Um, 40, 40% of dogs are obese. Um, cats become obese within four months of moving inside, which now we're advocating that many cats, in fact, a lot of shelters won't even adopt an animal unless it's going to an inside environment. The convenience of dry kibble um, has been, is it this strange convergence of uh, marketing and uh, nutrition uh, and seeing all these animals with ill health and metabolic disease related to those diets Mm -hmm. has made me want to fix that. I think every veterinarian is inspired to want to fix that. And um, so what are your recommendations for, so first of all, you do a lot of large animal nutrition and um, I'm sure that you are talking to your clients about species appropriate nutrition for large animals. Um, What's your recommendation Uh, as a small animal practitioner for food? The same thing, species appropriate. Uh, The argument that dogs are omnivores has been beaten to death. Um, Dogs are obviously carnivores, cats are carnivores. They both live and exist in a prey model uh, nutrition environment. And and so our job as veterinarians is to make sure that we can provide them a a mostly meat diet with meeting all the the, uh, essential vitamins and minerals that they need to do that in a healthy way. And do you have clients, um, do, is your approach to large animal nutrition different than other large animal conventional vets? Like do you approach Do you approach large animal nutrition holistically? Is, I, is there I such th- a thing? Yeah, I think I've, uh, well, I do range beef cattle, Okay, number one. So Which range beef <laughs> cattle uh, in California, uh, it's 48 of our counties, 48 of the 50 counties have uh, low selenium and low copper. So it's it's just known that if you're going to be uh, developing good fertile productive herds, you're going to have to address a mineral deficiency right away. That's because California is a volcanic shelf mostly. Mm. Um, Same as like Hawaii would be the same way. So right away practicing, you know that there's going to be some deficiencies and you can see it. You can see it uh, with diarrhea uh, and Mm. steer, you know, young feeder cattle. You can see it with uh, dry, ugly, non-shedding hair coats in uh, adult cattle and so it's just really obvious that how, that's a big part so of it. So how do you correct your, how, how do you correct that with range cattle? Uh, well cat, every every 
managed cow herds should have their cattle go through a shoot at least once a year. And fortunately, the industry, food, uh, the uh, nutrition industry for livestock has produced supplements that be given in a bolus form for sustained release over the year. Okay. People also make supplements, and of course, cattle on range have to be yeah. moved where they, you know, you use salt and mineral supplementation as a way to get them to move where you want them to mm -hmm. on the range. Mm -hmm. So the things that they're going to be looking for are water, and, uh, and so then you would put mineral supplementation around, around the water. That. That's great. But, you know, that's interesting. Where my brain goes is, so you, you manage those animals well. You're able to identify the deficiencies, and then you make up for them by providing what the earth is deficient in. It makes total sense. What that means is that meat then becomes fortified and supplemented, which increases, not only makes the animals thrive better, but eventually it becomes healthier, more nutritious meat. Mm -hmm. If that step doesn't happen, if people don't identify soil nutrient deficiencies, which are passed on to plants, which are passed on to animals, ultimately a lot of our meat sources and vegetable sources actually are deficient in nutrients. And exactly. In yeah. California, if rangeland grasses are deficient in uh, selenium and copper, then right. it only uh, you know, makes sense that vegetables grown in the same soil would right. be deficient also. And, you know, we don't, when we fertilize, we're not fertilizing with no. nutrients. Yes. Unless you're yes. a vineyard operator. Yes. Because they want perfect wine, so they do probably the best job of Soil amendments, yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is great. So then, so pertaining to small animal uh, medicine and nutrition, then feeding dogs and cats a species-appropriate uh, meat-based balanced prey model diet means that oftentimes those meats, even if they're organic and free-range, they're deficient in not just copper and selenium, but a whole host of other nutrients that, in theory, would be coming in through... Well, it may not food. even be the meat that's your biggest concern. It's are they getting the correct proportions of bone, yes. fat, and meat? And then, you know, 25, almost every prey model diet has at least 18 to 25 percent vegetable material, and they would be the ones that would be having the problems yep. depending on where they're produced. Well, it's interesting. Um, I don't know if you do any chickens, but in chickens that are raised indoors, their vitamin D in their liver is none, whereas chickens that are raised outside, they actually have vitamin D in their liver. Well, so that, and that's, that's a really good point because I don't have to deal with deficiencies relative to Captivity. Animals being in their natural environment yes. because they're all out there. But last night I went to a, a mushroom discussion with um, the uh, botanical medical group, and uh, he was pointing out that all of the so-called fabulous mushrooms, shiitake and reiki, are now being grown indoors mm -hmm. as China becomes more and more advanced in their cultivation. And so, sadly, mushrooms that were once high in vitamin D are not because they need sunlight to convert yep. their pro-vitamin D to vitamin D. So we, we make a lot of changes that we have really no idea how it's going to affect the overall nutrition. Have you, how long have you been practicing whole food nutrition for small animals? About eight years. Good for you. Good for you. And I'm sure that you have seen the transformation that we all have when you get animals off of an entirely processed dead diet onto an entirely fresh living diet. Do you have any success stories or favorite cases you can oh, think about? Oh, I, I have um, one most recently that was a, uh, a Labrador that was rescued uh, with his skin in horrible shape. He was so wrinkled. He looked like a Rambouillet mm -hmm. sheep. He had just greasy uh sticky skin that left wet, sticky footprints on the floor, infections in all of his, around his eyes. And um, the guy said, I don't know why I adopted mm -hmm. him. He just Aww. felt like I should. The dog had been on a, a commercial diet that emphasizes vegetable material um, since it was a young dog. It had been sent to the shelter because the people couldn't afford, afford it. the medications that yes. were prescribed by the regular veterinarian uh, to help control it. 
um, the shelter had had him on those medications for 30 days and the dog was still just in terrible shape. We put him on a um, commercial uh, predator-based diet that's available in California uh, and a vitamin and mineral supplement and a probiotic and um, basically got him off the carbs. Mm -hmm. The dog had a horrible yeast infection, which we were able to get cleared up. And... uh, he just looks beautiful now. I mean, yeah. so it's been, and the owner almost gave up because it's a tough, yeah. and that's what I have to tell people, this is a tough road. And it's not instant. It's, it's not instant. And the dog's not going to be better next this week. It's going to be, I, I gave him a year. We actually got there in eight months, so it was very so satisfying. So great. Yeah. So great. Well, and it's interesting. Once, typically, uh, once, once you have one success case like that, early on in our careers, once you have one, it feeds the other. But this man with this dog is going to go on to tell hundreds of people right. what just happened with uh, this amazing transformation, what just happened. Well, and you know, the nice thing about it, too, what I always look at, the holistic part of it is, this man's going to be thinking about his food. Yes, absolutely. So, and and uh, families improve their health when they realize how important nutrition is when they see a case like that. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. What you're doing is fantastic. The fact that you're focusing on food with every animal that comes into your practice is wonderful, and we appreciate your contribution to the fresh food movement. Well, thanks for thank you. Healthy goats. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you, Zoe. thank you, Zoe, for sharing that with us. Uh, another very informative pet health segment. Um, we are uh, technically over our time. We've been trying to keep the show to an hour and a half, but uh, you, know, you give it, you give and take. So uh, I guess we'll we'll wrap up, and I just want to thank everybody for participating. And for we had a pretty busy chat room today, so that was nice. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> be sure to listen to the SOT Radio Show on Sunday at noon Eastern time. You can visit radio.sot.net to see the airtime in your local time zone there. Uh, and we will be back uh, next week, uh, hopefully, if everything goes well, with a special guest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everybody. So, uh, Bye. Goodbye for the day. Bye. Goodbye. Bye, everybody. Bye.